0: So today we have for you Juliet Patterson, who is the recipient of fellowships from the Jerome Foundation, the Minnesota State Arts Board, and the Minneapolis-based Institute for Community and Cultural Development. She's the author of two full-length books. Oh, how do I say that? Threnody. Threnody. <laughs> and the Lambda Award finalist, The Truant Lover. To chat books as well, Epilogue and Dirge. Today, Juliet will present Me, Myself, and I The Transformative Power of Reflection in Nonfiction, in which we'll look briefly at four qualities of refle- reflection that might encourage artistic transformation in our writing, and we get to try some short exercises. Please join me in welcoming Juliet Patterson.
1: Thank you, can you all hear me? It's okay. All right, so we are gonna start with a short writing exercise. So if you could take out a piece of paper and a pen, or blood if you prefer to write in blood. Um, I'd like you to think about a potent memory from your own life. And I want you to spend a few minutes writing about this memory, but you're gonna start with someone speaking out loud. So that's either you or another character in this memory is going to say something and then write forward from that moment. Is that clear? So a potent memory from your life. Someone speaks out loud as your first line from the memory. So someone says something involved in the memory, and then just write forward, just write the memory. Still not clear. Still not clear? Okay, So I'm going to give you about four minutes. All right. I'm going to stop you there. Below this bit of language that you've just created, we're going to try something else. On your handout um, that you should have in front of you, there's a set of questions here. So what you're going to do now is look at this piece of writing and try to answer any one of these questions. Why was this event important? How did this event change me? Why did it happen? If I could go back in time, what would I do differently? So for the purposes of um, uh, time, you might choose just one of those questions right now. We're going to spend about three minutes just trying to answer that question. So they're on a handout here, Madeline? (laughs) Okay, is that clear? So the questions can be, how did it happen? Why did it happen? What lessons did I learn from this experience? Why is this experience important? Any one of those questions. Okay, so I'm gonna stop you there. Uh, We'll come back to this toward the end of my talk, but just curious, what you just did was, you did a little bit of reflection or introspection um, in regard to a memory. So for how many of you did this second part of the exercise uh, feel difficult? Raise your hand. Only one person? Difficult. Was it difficult to reflect? The second part, was you just reflected on the memory? The second this bit of writing you just did. How, for how many of you was it difficult? Okay. Anyone care to shout out what makes it difficult? Painful, shame, Shame. (laughs) well, if I'm honest, yes. (laughs) Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm primarily a poet, as you learned um, hearing the introduction, and I just finished a memoir um, last fall. It took me 10 years to write it, Let me say that again. (laughs) It took me 10 years. I will say about two of those years was me floundering around really trying to commit to the project as a book. I'm a poet. I don't like to have lots of words on the page. Uh, It was a struggle for that reason. Um, But it was also a struggle because I'm primarily a lyric poet, more abstract than not. Um, Narrative is not something too familiar with me. I'm an only child. I come from people who don't tell stories. So part of this is in my DNA. i don't really not a storyteller. I've had to learn how to become a storyteller. And so to be a storyteller as a writer just seemed insurmountable. So we could chop it off and say eight years rather than ten. I know that's hard to hear. I'm a slow writer. Maybe that helps. But I think it's important to just remind yourself that long book projects do not happen overnight. They don't even happen in a year. (laughs) They take a couple years, even for really skilled, fast writers. Memoir, in particular, has a a set of demands that are psychological and complicated. And depending on your own um, willingness to be honest with yourself can slow you down even more. But don't let that discourage you. Um, So, part of the impetus of this talk is to kind of talk to you from the perspective of someone who struggled very much (laughs) in writing a memoir, and I'm a seasoned writer, okay? That's important to remember. In particular, I struggled with this element of reflection. In fact, I spent many years resisting the idea of reflection. It's something I see in my own students. And so, that's a lot of what I want to talk about today and hopefully give you some Tips to kind of work around that resistance. Let's just talk about what reflection means, because we're word people. It's good to know the origins of words. Uh, 14th century word, it means reflection in references to surfaces that throw back light or heat. Um, A reflection literally bending back. So I'm a poet, I think metaphorically. So we're literally bending back to meet ourselves. That's what we're doing when we do reflection. Um, turn away, bend. Oops, that's not right. Um, we can also think about this in the le- uh, level of physics. Reflection is the phenomena in which energy is returned after impinging upon a surface. So we think about our own selves and our psyches. That bit of reflection you just did was you bouncing back off a memory that actually comes from your life, right? Once our experience of real life encounters a different medium, our memories, for instance, or the writing process itself, real life experience is changed. So first, we're going to talk about just like the element of uh, reflection or introspection. And then I'm going to talk to you about how you can transform it. Um, So really, in writing memoir, the big trick about writing a memoir is you have to establish a double perspective. You have to allow your reader to participate in the experience as it was lived, right? So the confusions, the apprehensions um, that you had as a child, let's say, while also conveying the sophisticated wisdom of one's current self. That's the reflective part. Um, this second perspective is what gives us, uh, the reader, the mature intelligence of the writer. And it's not an obligation, but it's an opportunity for you to establish contact with the reader. And in my experience in writing a, an autobiographical narrative, which I'll say repeatedly was really, really excruciatingly painful, um, <laughs> the heart of the matter is that it, often something began to come to life when I could engage with um, this reflective process. A lot of my students who, when I ask them to try and reflect or hold this double perspective, they say, but I I didn't know any of that back then. I can't say now that I understand uh, what happened to me as a child. They feel that they would be lying or giving themselves too much credit, or if their narrators were to assert more understanding on the page, than their protagonists actually possessed at the period of their lives. And as BK said yesterday, that's actually, um, it's counterintuitive, but it's actually more true that the more you can reveal about self-conflict, the problem, the stronger the writing can be. They also sometimes seem convinced that the suspense in a narrative is created by withholding insight, and again, that's generally not true. The more you can say at the front end of your story about insights, the better the reading will be. So um, memoir, at the very least, uh, does two things. It tells a story from the past, and it tries to make sense of the past. Storytelling is showing a part of the equation, since it uh, requires you to use familiar tools, dialogue, character, description. But reflection is trying to make sense of the past. It's something entirely different. And it it's largely unique to memoir. Um, I'm going back and forth, sorry. <laughs> so um, I've said to some of my students in the last few days that in the early rough draft stages, uh, there's really One of the most pleasurable things for many of us, I think, is to just recount the memories, to just transcribe things as though it's like a wide-awake dream. Um, And you're sort of accumulating verbal snapshots, right? And for many of us, we hope that that will be the book. Uh, It very often is not. Um, What we need at that point is there's no overseeing narrative voice to provide the necessary connective glue or context. So our lives are obviously intimate to ourselves, but we're involving a stranger, i.e. reader, in our own lives. So again, we have to reveal um, information about what's happening. What I didn't know when I was writing my own memoir, but understand now, is um, that I had this resistance to reflection because I thought I would be clogging up the narrative, interfering with the action, um, dispelling surprise, right? But actually, uh, it it was essential to what I was trying to do because the heart of the book was actually about me and my own questions. Um, this is a quote from Virginia Woolf. The reason so many personal essays and memoirs fail is they focus on the events of what happened and leave out the person to whom things happened. So again, that double perspective, you as a memoir writer are creating a character, which is you, and you're also creating a narrator, which is you, me, myself, and I. But these two entities have to work together. Uh, Another thing that Wolf talked about a lot was um, the version of I then and I now. And that's a simpler way to think about that double perspective. There's another way we might think about reflection. I keep doing the wrong thing. Uh, there's a, an inner narrative. So um, beyond thinking about reflection and inner narrative, the surface, the facts, the sequence of remembered events, and that of the internal struggles to come with grips with these facts and events. Here's a quote from Vivian Gornick, the situation and the story. Truth in memoir is not achieved through a recital of actual events. Did you hear that? Truth in memoir is not achieved through a recital of actual events. It is achieved when the reader comes to believe that the writer is working hard to engage with the experience at hand. What happened to the writer is not what matters. What happened to the writer is not what matters. What matters is the large sense that the writer is able to make of what happened. So the first step in any memoir is to, of course, record what happened, but a lot of that won't matter unless you're able to make sense of it. This is a quote from um, Frank Conroy's book, Stop Time. So another thing I talk with students a lot about is who resist reflection. Uh, reflection doesn't necessarily have to go on for paragraphs, right? This was a big relief for me to figure out, too. A couple of sentences will go a long way. This is a scene from Frank Conroy's memoir, Stop Time, and in it he's describing a, in detail an incident where he and a few other school, uh, prep school boys decide to defy their teachers by ducking out of the dormitory at Lights Out. As the superiors chase after them, Conroy's young narrator says this, Can there ever be anything so sweet for a child as victory over authority? On that warm night, I touched heights I will never reach again. It's a small reflection, barely two lines, but its transparency allows the reader to feel, understand, and identify with the young narrator's brief moment of triumph. Without this window into both the boy's thought process and what he's feeling in that moment, Conroy's scene would convey only the specifics of what's happened. So now we're going to look at what Judith Kitchen, she's a great um, nonfiction writer, says about the inner narrative. And that's her term for this idea of reflection. So again, in a memoir, you would have a narrative of external events, what happened, which doesn't really matter, and the inner narrative, which is what the writer says or thinks about the events, which is what really matters. And we get tricked, I think, because in fiction, it could be the opposite. The external events are actually the plot. They're actually very important. Um, in this case, the inner narrative is more important. So um, reflection and discussions about uh writing, we usually speak of reflection in rhetorical terms, as a mode of thought or tone of voice. Uh, Philip Girard, in his book Creative Nonfiction, calls it finished thought, finished thought. And what interests me um, about Kitchen is that she says, it's actually the building process of thought is what interests the reader. So we look as much for how an author approaches a subject as much as the subject itself. I know I'm being repetitive, it's sort of on purpose. She identifies several methods for um, reflection. The first is what she calls retrospection, so it's a looking back, an assessment, which is maybe what some of those questions prompted you to do in that little writing exercise. Intrusion, a stepping in where the narrator comes in and makes commentary about the action that's being revealed. A meditation or rumination, Of thinking through and around, or finding a perspective. Introspection, a self-examination, an honest appraisal and discovery. Imagination, as distinct from invention, she says. You do not make things up in a memoir, even though that's been somewhat popular in recent years. (laughs) The idea here, though, is to allow for alternatives juxtapositions to speculate. You as a narrator could say, Sally uh, didn't break my coffee cup, but I imagined in my mind that she threw it against the wall. Something like that? Um, They may seem like they're all related, but I think there's some subtle nuances to each of these gestures. And there are other methods she talks about. The speculation, which I just kind of talked about, the what if. The self-interrogation, so asking hard questions about yourself on the page, the ones you don't always want to know the answers to. Projection, ascribing a feeling, thought, or impulse to someone else. Digression, one of my favorites, which is allowing your mind to wander away from the subject. And some of the richest discoveries can be made in those digressions. That can be particularly useful if you're writing about a a highly charged emotional situation or even a traumatic situation. And the very nature of trauma would often encourage you to make digressions as a way to stay healthy. So some of this has to do with what your content and um, subject is, but to allow yourself many avenues to kind of use reflection. So what about transformation? Title of my talk is uh, The Transformation of Reflection. For you as a writer, why does that matter? Um, so I want to talk about how I just tried to basically explain the element of reflection, but I want to try and think about um, reflection in a more in a different spirit. And I want to talk about four qualities of reflection and suggest ways to encourage transformations in your own writing. Um, So I already said writing a memoir isn't easy. (laughs) I I do actually think, and I'll confess that I sort of used to have a chip on my shoulder about memoir. I thought it was sort of sopolistic and self-indulgent. (laughs) I'm, memoir. I now know (laughs) it's the most psychologically demanding genre um, of them all, but I think possibly the the genre that allows for the most um, literal transformation of self. Um, So let's think about this word reflection a little more metaphorically. Okay. We're going to think about it outside of writerly craft terms and let's think about it as a process of change. So I already talked about physics. So reflection in physics is the phenomena of energy impinging on a surface. Um, Reflection is never the thing itself, but a reconfigured version. So when we reflect, we, in effect, break an experience into pieces and then reassemble the pieces into a new form. Even the word remember suggests that a breaking has occurred. When we remember, we put the broken pieces back, the broken members, right? And the dismembering and the remembering occurs despite our bravest attempts at accuracy. And it begins long before we put pen to paper. So one of the most helpful things we can do as writers is to relinquish early on the notion that we have to capture reality. What did I just say? (laughs) Truth Truth is relative. That's right. The words themselves um, resemble the memory. They resemble the memory, right, in new and surprising ways. Uh, When a student comes to me, a students sometimes do, and complain that they've failed to capture her mother on paper, I tell her, of course, capturing is impossible. Your mother is made of flesh and blood and hair and your writing is made of words. So this is the task we set for ourselves. I mean to be comforting, (laughs) but I say that, you know, once you release the notion that you can capture any one person on paper, you're free to do what you can do, which is describe the strapless gown she wore that summer night when she walked out of the house with a martini in her hand. You can narrate the tale of her birth, you can circle round and round the questions your mind is asking about why she continues to wear purple eyeshadow when it's completely out of fashion. Uh, So, in other words, we have to let go of this notion that we're going to be 100% accurate. The truth is relative. Your memory is truth. my reflection. (laughs) Reflections um, require a reflective surface. We've already kind of talked about that. Some medium to bounce off to. This mountain won't have a reflection without this lake. And the surface affects the image that is formed. Do you follow that? The surface affects the image that is formed. So as writers, our surfaces are words. That maybe seems really obvious, but you can partially begin to think about what kind of surface will you use. What kind of writer are you? Are you lyric, which means descriptive, um, evocative, emotional? Are you dramatic writer? Do you like to go for the jugular? Are you more narrative? Do you like to outline the story? And you can begin to make a plan for what your surface is. And you'll try to depict reality as smoothly and as realistically as possible, or you can consciously break up reality, rough up the surface so that the reflection becomes distorted or diffuse. So reflections begin, Uh, we already talked about this, uh, at the point of incidence, the place where the thing itself encounters the surface. In literary circus, this point of incidence is sometimes called the occasion of the telling, or the entry point, or what we might call stakes, if we use BK's word. So John Dewey, in his book Art as Experience, suggests the occasion that induces a reflection is almost always discord something is irritating or discordant. And I tend to agree with that. I think the point of incidence as the sand in the oyster, or the rock in the shoe, or the place where something rubs against something else, the point of tension. So a helpful question to ask while reflecting upon an experience is not only why am I writing this, But why am I writing this at this particular time? Why does this story need to be told in my own life? What is the occasion of the telling? What's at stake? Why now? Why here? What's the point of incidence? These are really important questions that you should know the answer to, probably before you even make the first draft. For sure, before you get into the second draft. And sometimes these are hard questions to answer. Uh, The only way I found to answer them is to write your way through it, to actually engage with these questions as a writer. Reflections also require a viewer, right? A perceiver. The reflection is influenced by the positioning of this viewer in time and space, and also by the internal landscape of the viewer. So here's a few suggestions for encouraging fresh reflections. And some of this is on your handout. Um, One is to frame the experience differently so you could crop a scene at a different place leave something out that you thought was essential so again because we're beholden to truth and our own memory and for some of us laying down the memory is sort of an important first step we tend to give every last detail of action it may not be necessary for the story cropping can cause A cinematic difference, a literal like visual picture changes when you crop it, right? So similarly, framing your experience differently. Try a different lens. So again, thinking cinematically, if all you've done is create close-up scenes where you're describing um, in great detail, you could snap on a wide-angle lens and pull back for the big view. If all you've written is distance summary, you can apply the close-up lens of scenic detail. Um, The third one, big one for me, was change the way you use time. Try squeezing a lifetime into 60 seconds or stretching 60 seconds into a day. So a lot of us have a habitude as a writer the way we learn to tell stories, or articulate ourselves, or communicate to people, is something we do intuitively, and that's for sure what the first draft is about. And if I use myself as an own, my own example, I'm a very descriptive writer. That's what I do well, and so I know how to do that. I'm really suck at seeing. <laughs> I really suck at kind of bald-faced narrative. So my first draft, in terms of time, everything was evolving. You know, at at real time or even slower than real time because it was highly descriptive, which causes the reader to slow down. So in terms of pacing, it was a a plodding, very decorative affair. And so I could learn to think about time and shrink some moments to just actually some really potent dramatic moments to just very tiny little uh, exchanges of dialogue or even a narrative and suddenly the drama of the narrative would change quite dramatically. Um, Reflection doesn't always mean looking back, right? You can also move forward. Imagine yourself in the future. Imagine your parent in the future. Imagine your parents future had they not stood at the altar in Pittsburgh, Kansas in 1956. Imagine what they were thinking at the altar. And that was enormously freeing to me too because As a descriptive writer, like, locking into the imaginative power of what could possibly happen, like, released me from, again, having to, like, tell the truth, (laughs) right? You can apply a different light, especially if you're a character in your own story. It's hard to see uh, all sides of yourself while looking in a mirror, but try shining the same light on yourself as you have with the other characters. That's the other real problem with the memoirs, that you as the character have to be fully realized and revealed as much as the other people that you are involving in your story. So let's take a look at your little bit of reflection that you wrote earlier, and you did it in a few minutes, sitting here in this room, and see if you can experiment with one of these methods um, and try rewriting what you just wrote. So could you crop the scene that you wrote, or crop the reflection? Could you try a different lens? Could you look at it through a different light? Could you change the way you use time? I would pick one, and we'll take a few minutes and try it out. What do you think? Okay. so why don't you take a minute and just Briefly talk to a neighbor about anything that changed. What was it like to kind of revisit this reflection and sort of try something else out? What happened? Just take a couple minutes and have a neighbor conversation. Um, so for those of you early, when I did the first exercise and I asked you if the reflection was difficult and you raised your hand, uh, it might be helpful to remember that this tool of writing is, is a um, muscle that you kind of have to flex. And speaking from personal experience, I really had to practice this quite a bit before I could kind of master it or use it as a tool. Um, So I hope that's helpful. I mean, I really had no idea how to do this at all. Uh, Again, I come from a a family sort of atmosphere that I was not encouraged to talk about myself. I'm very skilled at avoiding (laughs) talking about myself. And then I'd spent years as a writer um, shrouding the self, so not really declaring anything in a straightforward manner. So to do this was really, really, really hard. Uh, But I do think, especially with memoir and nonfiction, as Patricia Hampel stresses, again, the events don't matter. What matters is the narrator's attempt to come to terms with something, and that's the real stakes of the book. You often can't figure that out until you've written 200 pages of the first draft of the string of memories to help you identify what's what you're actually talking about. Once you have an idea of what you're trying to grapple with, then the work becomes um, "You unpacking through reflective detail the situation or the idea or the thought. It's something you can't explain or understand except through the writing. And it's a little bit of what BK talked about yesterday, which is if you're not suspending yourself or surprising yourself, the reader won't be surprised or suspended. And uh, that's partly what makes writing so demanding. Yes, we're we're in it because we're trying to articulate something that's inarticulable, right, ineffable. Um, so, just wanted to leave you with that thought. The handout has both of these quick little exercises uh, that we did in more more detail. Um, I say this often to my students that. As a writer, it's been very helpful for me to just have a practice uh, aside from any writing project that I engage with as a way to increase my skill in a particular area. And so the way I got better at reflection was just to do it a lot in a journal. It had nothing to do with my memoir, though of course it would obviously start to leak into the memoir. That's sort of uh, organic. Yep. and so I'm about to conclude and then open for (laughs) questions. But yes, go ahead. We can jump right into Q and A.
0: I'm coming over to you.
1: We're coming to bring you a mic.
0: No worries. Hello. I'm paraphrasing Emerson, who said, um, and I'm asking, do you believe that what's true for you is true for all men and women? <laughs> In other words, is, do you think it has to be universal, or do you think that's pushing it too far in memoir?:
1: So uh, this, this question always trips me up about universality, but I'm going to stick with Adrian Rich, you know, who had the idea that the personal is political, but also had the idea. That it's like the deeper one goes into oneself, the more that becomes universal. I don't know if that's what you're. I guess. <laughs> Though I would also g- caution and guard against the impulse to achieve y- being universal. Again, that's trying to like, capture your mother on the page. I don't think it's possible to have universal appeal. Can I offer a thought Please. about that? Because I think the question's tricky, because I think the whole point of multiple truths is important. But that doesn't not equal universality. So something can be, no, true for me is not true for anyone else in the world, really, because our own truth is unique, but that doesn't mean it's not accessible to all variety of readers who bring their own truth to interacting with my writing, you know? So I think it can be (laughs) multiple truths and universal, which, you know, means accessible to others. Something resonates, something's relatable, but it's not the same truth to every reader spoken so by true skillful memoirist
0: <laughs> and there but is, is really I don't know if you all have seen this there's this uh, essay going around right now that was on the Paris Review by CJ Hauser um, I'm gonna forget the, the the title of it but she's talking about breaking off her engagement like a week before she was oh going to get married. Most people, I'm guessing, who read that have not broken off an engagement a week before they get married. But, you know, what she comes to in that, like the truth of her experience and her feelings has really struck a chord, you know, with women readers and with how they have felt in relationships, even though, you know, she didn't have this universal experience. She's articulating something that's really resonating with people and expressing a way a way that they've felt in very different circumstances Um, okay so
1: this quote on the 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 screen the narrator's attempt to come to terms with something and thinking about earlier you said um uh, it's about writers making sense um so introspection versus retrospection um
0: looking back upon something to make sense of it how important is the, the, creating a sense of narrative distance, where the me on the page is a character, writing is the one doing the work here.
1: I'm gonna defer to Sarah again. Well, for, uh, for me, this is really connected to content and style. And so what's the book about? So again, if I use my own example, my book is a, largely a meditation on suicide, doesn't get much darker than that. So distance was actually important because too much intimacy with the drama of the situation was kind of overkill, right? Stylistically, it turns out, as a prose writer, I do have naturally a little bit of distance in my own voice. So I think BK said this yesterday, The, the key to becoming a writer is understanding what you're good at and understanding where you're weak. And it changes from project to project. No one likes to hear that either. You you just keep growing. To me, that's the joy of it. Uh, but then maximizing what you're good at. So I'm pretty good at being a distant narrator. Not so distant that you're disengaged. That's the hope anyway. But did that answer your question? Okay, yeah. The introspection, retrospection is really interesting, and Sarah could probably say more since she's more seasoned than me. But you know, the reason I wanted to give this talk is to give give you hope that you know we're all out here floundering, (laughs) Uh, and sometimes projects choose you, and that was certainly the case for me here. If I had been able to write a book of poetry about this subject, I might have done it. It just didn't work out that way, Um, and so I, I learned like so much in the last decade as a writer, which is embarrassing to say in some ways. I've been writing for, you know, 35 years or something. But uh, the, the trap of looking back, which is going on a lot in my book, it gets really repetitive, right? And so looking forward was really helpful. So just like being really playful with the idea of thinking out loud and knowing yourself as a thinker. So I'm a big... Uh, I like to ask a lot of questions. That's just who I am. I drive my friends crazy. Um, Say more. Will you tell me more? Why did you think that? What were you feeling? I'm just like incessantly curious. So I maximize that too as as a way. So so unpacking who you are as a person and just kind of going for it on the page.
0: Thank you. My question is how do you ensure a reflection is meaningful and not just going off on a tangent?
1: And what's wrong with tangents? (laughs) Uh, So if you're like me and you resist it and it's uncomfortable, my tactic was to just carry it as far as I could go and then rely on outside readers to give me that judgment because I couldn't trust myself because I would always ax it, I would cut it out. And then they would say, tell me more, tell me more. And even after I went through the manuscript and added infinite, I thought, amounts of reflection, people were saying, tell me more about that. And that's the other thing to realize is like they're gonna, readers are gonna always want more and you just have to be okay with, eh, but probably the same way you make a decision about any other piece of writing. you know, Is this essential to carrying the story forward? Does this reveal something about the character? Does this move me, surprise me? Yeah. In my general experience, readers love reflection. They don't know it, but they love it. Don't they love it? Pretty much, they love it. We don't experience it much in our lives. I think probably a handful of people in our lives dig down into that kind of intimate revelation that you would get in a memoir. I think that's the pleasure of a memoir, that you're meeting a stranger, and they're telling you the most, (laughs) right? Like this woman who left her husband and daughter, they're telling you the most private part of their life. It's thrilling.
0: (laughs) So um, I'm a newspaper reporter, and um, I'm curious like where the role of uh, research and fact checking kind of come into memoir. Um,
1: just from my own experiences you know, interviewing people, it's amazing to me um,
0: how much I can misunderstand just based upon our interview, but also how much they may be off in just knowing you know, factual circumstances. Uh, and so I'm curious you know, what your thoughts are about it.
1: Again, this is so driven by content, so some projects will require an amount of fact-checking and research, right? If it's got historical elements or, in my case, it was an ancestral story that did involve, you know, history. I had to do a lot of research. It was partly my own curiosity, again, and that's part of the story that I'm trying to tell. Like, I'm trying to go on this investigative search. For these ancestors i don't know anything about two grandfathers that committed suicide and a father that committed suicide so my father's death kicked off this investigatory process but oddly i had a small brief life as a journalist and so that um, mode was familiar to me so again i think it's like using your own strengths if you know how to do research you know how to interview people and guess what i interviewed. Uh, local historians in this small little town where my parents came from and stuck it in there. <laughs> you know, so it's just like grabbing anything that's useful, um, but the, in my case, the research that, some of the truth I revealed didn't match up with the family truth, so this was just interesting. And so then you get to like talk about that out loud, isn't this interesting that, you know, Sally Sue died uh, under a tractor instead of being kicked by a cow, or whatever it is. You know, so then you it's you just reveal to the reader what you know and what you don't know. And the recorded truth, in my case, sorry to go on, but my grandfather um, was a politician, and so got a lot of headlines around his death, so I actually learned about his death through the newspaper, because my family didn't have any of that information which is a weird <laughs> – so does that answer your question? Sort of. <laughs> uh, the, you know, and that relates to style. Um, I, again, I'm because I'm curious and I have an inquisitive mind, I, I love to do research that became an integral part of my project. Other people are not going to approach it in that way. So I think about the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which um do you know that book she goes on a long hiking and that's very scene driven she could have if it had been written by Julia patterson she would have gone into the history of those mountains and the trail and maybe <laughs> and seriously like infused some of that into the because that's just like how i am as a thinker so i think the key is you want to reveal yourself in all the different lenses that you can as as much as you can so are you a Curious person, are you a researcher? Do you love history? What is your jam? And that's what you want to try to reveal because that's who you are, right?
0: We have unfortunately run out of time. I feel like we could just go on talking forever. Um, Thank you all. Thank Thank you, you, Juliette.